Thank you for tuning into Sochcast. We hope you enjoy this uninterrupted listening experience. But before that, please do listen to these messages that come from those that support your favorite show. Raj Naik's talk show Fridays Live features high-profile guests from various walks of life who engage in a free-flowing and inspiring chat with him. Good evening and welcome to Fridays Live with me Raj Naik. I have with me the man who's transformed uh, the Star TV network in India as uh, the CEO of Star TV. He is the man responsible for taking an also-ran network to making it one of India's leading television network. No no surprises, no you don't need to guess. My guest this evening is my former boss Mr. Peter Mukherjee. Peter Welcome to Friday's Live. Good evening, Raj, and thank you for the lovely, warm words. And uh, I've got to say, this is so reminiscent of our, you know, our early days when we used to have sales conferences in different places around the world, and we had timing issues, and we had technology issues, and we had, you know, things with uh, powerpoints and you know what have you. And I remember there was this guy called Bruce Churchill, if you remember. Or uh, he was like, "Of course I do. Of course I do." He was a a, a big daddy at Star, and um, yeah, he used to say, "Look, I don't know about all this technology. You know, you've got to work with, you know, acetate sheets, right?" Now there you go. So today's um, today's um, you know live with Raj is uh, is kind of a testimony to that in many ways. <laughs> All that said and done, I'm lovely to be here. Thank you so much for this fantastic opportunity. I've been wanting to kind of, you know, see you face to face. Haven't been able to do that in the last one year for all kinds of reasons related to COVID and pandemics and lockdown and and stuff like that. But um, you know, a really big hello to you, and you know, really lovely to be here. You know, I can't tell you how wonderful it is. So, Peter, uh, great year seeing you face to face after a long time. And uh, so it's just it's been over a year since you're back among friends and family. How does yeah. it feel? How does it feel? Well, you know, like like the like somebody once said, you know, is the Pope Catholic? It is wonderful. It feels absolutely spectacular to be back amongst friends. Um, you know, it's been exactly a year since I got out of jail, um, yeah. and and you know, we won't talk about that too much. But I think the the fact is the lockdown helped me kind of settle in very easily. it allowed me the time and the you know the space to kind of readjust to lots of things to technology to um you know using a mobile phone again and using a laptop using an ipad and all, all of that and you know so much as uh, is of that has been thanks to all the friends that have kind of stood by me all this throughout this period and um, but it is wonderful to be home again you know literally and um, and in this period it's been a crazy year um I've got this book published called Star Struck and Passions of a TV Executive as you know. Oh yes, I have it. I have it here with me. Ah, wonderful. Yes, there you go. That's um and I hope, you know, you had a chance to read it and we'll talk about that a little bit in in due course, but um but yeah, in answer to your question, this last 12 months have been a, a real fabulous year. You know, I can't I have no complaints in in you know at all. I mean, the fact that there was a lockdown, I think it was wonderful. I don't know what people are complaining about quite honestly. <laughs> So that was my question for you. I remember the day you were released and uh, you were on your way home. Was the time when they announced the lockdown? Yes, it was literally it was literally a day to spare. I think 
And um, from know, that midnight, I, next day it was locked up. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I actually do believe there is a God, and you know, God was you know looking after me and was you know I really feel blessed, not just because of the day I got out, but also for all the friends and all the family and everybody who's kind of stood by me throughout this entire period. And you know, and and to be here on this fantastic show, you know, to be present myself is really quite a quite an honor. Thank you very much. You know, I I, I always say that anything in life is pro- possible. Who would have imagined twenty years ago that two decades later I will be sitting and having a live chat <laughs> with my boss? <laughs> I know. Who would have thought? I know. You know, and and those twenty years have flown by, haven't they? I mean, they have just you know. Whiz past. I couldn't tell you how, but you know, if somebody was to ask me, and I think I mentioned it in my book uh, somewhere, is that if I had an opportunity to do it again, I would do it without a, missing a heartbeat. And I definite yes, you know. And I do, of course, we make some changes, make some alterations in certain things, uh, certain aspects of one's life. But yeah, by and large, yes, very much. So, you know, twenty years is—it uh, doesn't seem like twenty years. I can tell you, except that we've, you know, I certainly have. You know, got grey hair and probably no hair now. But you still look young, Peter. You still got the same charm, yeah. and you still have the same uh, mischievous charm. look in your eyes. Raj Charm is your middle name. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, getting back, I mean, uh, so what? Where are you right now? You know, I'm in this lovely state called Goa, and okay. I'm just in. I'm in Panjim, and I'm in a hotel where, um, where you know, I'm getting decent quality of internet. Um, I have a little home in Goa, which I've had for some time, um, but the internet, you know, service there is not as good as it is in this hotel. So I've I've taken the liberty of asking these people to use one of their business center rooms, which is why I'm I'm looking like I'm surrounded by all these lovely wooden panels <laughs> and everything else. Um, but yeah, it's uh, in Goa, so I wish I could have been sitting at the beach and you know giving you a glimpse of the of the water and boats going by and stuff like that. But sadly, that's not possible in this. In this particular room, uh, but yeah, Goa is is where I am. Great, and uh, you you mentioned what 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 you were doing for the last one year. So I want to ask you. I mean, uh, the last five years has been you know it's been an extremely challenging period of your life. So how did you go from one day to a uh, to the next? Well, you know, with with a great deal of uh, positivity, and and the positivity came from all the energy that I got from all my friends and family. Who you know were, were stood, who literally were writing letters to me, stood by me, uh, would come and see me at every possible opportunity. Um, you know, the, you know that's really what got me through. Um, and and believing that you know there is a there is a better tomorrow, which is something that you know is really what what management in many ways is all about. You know, you 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 create hope for a better tomorrow. And in in my situation, I was creating hope. For myself, for a better tomorrow, you know, and that tomorrow came and had to come. There was no no doubt about it. So it was a it was a case of looking forward to to that tomorrow, and you know, uh, kept me going. That and a lot of lot of sense of humor. I think you've got to build that into your daily life, no matter where you are. You've got to feel happy. You've got to, you know, um, I, you know. I'm sort of digressing because I never really wanted to talk about any of this, but I think you know there is a there is a part of me which. Um, you know, has a kind of spiritual and a more, uh, if you like, a religious side, um, which was never, we never used to be the case. But it's certainly something that I, that I kind of leaned on uh, over this period of time, and uh, it helped me, helped me sleep at night, helped me with my thoughts, it helped me with my, um, you know, positivity and and all of that. And actually, 
in many ways it helped me write this book because you know I almost kind of aborted it and I thought no I'm not going to do this it's too much effort but when I was sitting there and very little to do and I had to do everything in long hand there was no there was no computers and so on so I had to write it all out in 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 long hand with a pen and paper which was uh, you know when you think about it trying to write everything and and compile it into a book form in long hand is is quite unique you know so i think it makes for me it's a it's a labor of love like this sochcast tune in for more with the sochcast app from the google play store but but i remember even when you were my boss and at star tv uh you had a very uh, unique style because whilst you sent mails and things like that you also wrote people a lot of personal notes you know you had that uh, whether it was on birthdays or or even otherwise you know a thank you note and things like that you had that uh, the you, you wrote letters you wrote letters to us with handwritten so that's something that that's a quality you always had as far yeah, as i I, th- I, th- i think it i think it shows my age actually more than anything else <laughs> because uh you know it it's something i was brought up with um you know i wasn't a sort of digital native um you know i was more uh, you know you do things by in in written form and so uh for me it was you know it came as second nature really writing a letter to somebody um in long hand scribbling down a few lines of uh, and i think it you know i i did the same this uh, this year at diwali and at uh, christmas time you send out greeting cards and i wrote a few cards to a few friends um and they got back to me and said you know we haven't had a handwritten card in ages so it's wonderful to get one you know and so i think maybe there's a way maybe it'll come around again who knows yeah i mean uh, I, i mean i was uh, the other day i was speaking to my daughters and uh, you know my wife had opened one of her bags you know and she had collected all the letters i had written to her yeah. when we were going around sagri and uh, both my children happened to read some of them right i mean like uh, they were say and i was telling them i mean it was a different era you know we used to write letters we yeah. you know i mean now we don't do that you know i mean it's a change but as i say i think you know these things go around sometimes you know and like like um you know we've moved to digital music on our phones and and uh, you know devices and i talked to so many friends who were saying listen you know i wish i had my my lps around because they they're coming back and yeah, people of course, they're coming back who want you know the vinyl records and and stuff like that so you know i i rue the day that i gave them away to the kabari wala many years ago <laughs> we all do we all do i know and and so you know i think maybe letter writing and handwritten notes to one another will will return in some form in fact uh, uh, my daughters haven't even seen a radio what a radio looks like you know and i'm like one of these days i'm going to go to chor bazaar and pick up a radio and bring it home just so that they get a feel of what a radio look like hopefully i'll yeah. get one yeah 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 So so I'm c- coming back I mean uh, so tell me the Peter Mukherjee 5 years back or 6 years back and the Peter Mukherjee today that I'm talking to right now what yeah. has changed what has changed well I not a lot has changed to be honest I think I've I have learned a lot but it hasn't changed me I've learned an awful lot I've learned about who my friends are I've learned about you know the value of liberty the value of freedom I've read about the indian penal code and i would advise each and every person watching this to read that it is an incredible document you must read it if you know if you want to live in this country you must read that book um you know it it, it tells you so much which most people don't i had never read it so i think you know in this in this you know in this period of time it's been a it's been a real learning experience and and in many ways it would never have happened 
um, I, you know, there's, it's not the sort of place you would want to go, and um, it's not, you know, it's not something that you would, um, you know, you don't look forward to that kind of a thing. So it's a, it's a really strange experience. But having gone through it, you you do really recognize that, you know, your daily um, walk to a, you know, to a cafe or to buy a loaf of bread or just you know call a friend have a chat are just incredible luxuries you know we don't we just take them for granted and 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 you know we don't think about it and i think really it's something that you 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 know i've learned in that period in that space of time yeah in a way i think uh, with this lockdown a lot of people have learned it you know in a different way like because yeah, yeah. it was almost as if we are all under house arrest right <laughs> i mean and uh, you couldn't go out and even today i mean uh, uh, things have not, I mean, especially in Mumbai, I mean, some of us people like me, I mean, we haven't stepped out of the house. So it's, uh, so yeah, it's, we suddenly realize a lot of things that we take for granted and suddenly realize what you're missing. I mean, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. So it was also a time for you to do some introspection. What are the thoughts that crossed your mind? Well, you know, a variety of thoughts, right? I can't, can't go into detail because I wasn't really prepared for um, for that, you know, level of discussion and that depth of conversation. But I think now that we're talking about it, I've got to say, you know, some of the introspection was, you know, ranging from, uh, from uh, you know, bordering on depression many, many times. You know, you, you don't know why things happen. You don't know how they happen, but they happen and uh, you can't explain them. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of come through that. And, and the only way to do that was, um, you know, you can't, dive into television and watch, you know, a program and switch off mentally because there isn't that, uh, that ability to do that. So, you, you know, you read a lot. Uh, I used to read, you know, I don't know, about four or five, maybe sometimes six different kinds of newspapers every day. I used to read loads of magazines, which I used to get. My son would send me a copy of The Economist, which I used to love reading. Um, and, and, you know, letters would, uh, would take up time to read and write and reply. Um, you know, you, you look after your health as much as you can. I think, um, you know, that's an important factor of um, as you're getting older, you kind of worry about that to some extent. Uh, you worry about what you eat. Um, obviously, there's no alcohol, no, uh, you know, and so you don't worry about that. But, you know, you, you and I had thankfully given up smoking. Uh, so it didn't bother me that, you know, there was, uh, there was um, you know, there was tobacco available, but you know, it didn't. It wasn't something that I was, um, you know, concerned with. Um, exercising, keeping yourself fit, keeping yourself in touch with what is going on, at least from a from a reading point of view. Um, keeping yourself up to date with as much as you can of what's going on around you in the world, right? Because you know you are cut off, and that feeling of being cut off from from what's going on, in a way, is is tough. But in, in lots of ways, it is also, um, you know, a, a cathartic sort of process. You're kind of almost like in a, in a Vipassana kind of environment, right? Where you unable to speak to people because, you know, a lot of the people that you would come across, you, apart from saying hello and nodding and acknowledging their presence, you probably would not want to have it get into a detailed conversation. But if you did, then... You know, those conversations were also equally revealing. And I think, you know, if you try and do five years in a Vipassana, I think it would be, you know, an interesting experience. You'd come out a different person. Uh, you just spoke about your health. I mean, uh, 
So you had an open heart surgery recently, right? And uh, I hope all is well on the health front. Well, so far so good. I had open heart surgery. I don't want to show you my scar right now, but I think, <laughs> um, yeah, it, I was very fortunate. I was allowed by the by the honourable court to go and have it done in a, in a private clinic. Uh, the doctors were fantastic. They took great good care of me, and I I'm pleased to say that I came out from came out from that. And uh, and you know none of that. I've got to tell you, and I've got to tell you this on a on a live broadcast, so to speak, that this would not have happened had it not been for a whole bunch of friends, including yourself who kind of contributed towards the cost of my surgery in that hospital. And for that, I will forever be in debt to to everyone, you know. Um, and and that for me was really a, a testament to, you know, friendship in its in its kind of rawest form, you know. Um, and this is, you know, something that I would never have expected. It humbled me to bits, um, you know, has nothing to do with anything other than your camaraderie and goodwill you know and and i think um um uh, you know you talk about health of course i'm i'm feeling great now touch wood i've had the surgery um you know i'm trying to stay as fit as possible um but none of that would have happened had it not been for you know a bunch of friends like yourself thank you peter but uh, you know coming about comrade camaraderie and uh, friendships and relationships i'm going to come to that later because i believe you are a master of relationships so i'm <laughs> going to come back to that topic uh, so tell me was it a life changing experience as they as people say i mean because you always had this philosophy of work hard party hard so has it altered your thinking about the future you know actually i had a philosophy of work hard and party harder you know so that you 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 party harder than you actually end up you know partying the 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 previous evening or whatever so that you get into work and you feel like getting you know back into it um so yes it has changed me um my my level of partying is altered a little bit it's uh, it's it's of a different nature now uh, i i prefer smaller groups um you know rather than large large groups of uh, of people and i think that's partly driven by our current environment in in you know wherever we are uh health health being a kind of fundamental feature of all of that um but yes i think the working hard part you know i've i've stepped back a little bit from work over the last few years so that's that's given me time to kind of do other things um you know to expand my my horizons as far as you know trying to get a little bit more knowledgeable and um uh and try and sort of read a lot more um trying to get a grips with with technology because that is moving along so quickly and with a big gap of 5 years i think you suddenly realize that you know you know i don't know what you know i i i'm one of those people who you know accustomed to sending text messages right and when i send a text message to some of my uh you know nephews and nieces who are really quite young and you know they tell me oh you know nobody sends text messages anymore we all send you know emojis and emojis have, have kind of evolved <laughs> to something called GIFs and you know these are all things that I'm learning for the first time right so for me this is you know almost like going back to school in many ways so one of the things I'm really keen to do therefore is to hang out with young people to really get a sense of where what is making them tick um and and you know I think the opportunity working as an intern in a company would be fantastic raj you know I I I um I saw a movie recently I think it's called The Intern with Robert De Niro and um Anne Hathaway it was a fabulous film um and I want to take a leaf out of his book you know join a company that you know has got 
all kinds of new things happening and this guy is his old fart who's kind of you know who's um, joining who joins this company and and you know everybody takes to him over a period of time to begin with they all think well he's you know he's well past it and he's got nothing to contribute and so on but in reality he's got an awful lot to contribute which they just don't see for you know because they're so busy doing other things so maybe there's an opportunity there somewhere and somebody's got an intern role coming up they can give me a call i'm sure people who are listening to this wouldn't want to miss an opportunity you know i've started a small small little business uh after i quit my job and it's uh, it's to do with happiness yeah and uh, in your book i happen to read since you mentioned about intern i happen to read that when you did your uh, executive management program at kellogs yeah you were uh, you were you were you won an award for the happiest man in class yes i did actually and to be honest with you that's one of the you know uh, god has been very kind and um, i've had you know a few awards given to me over the years for different things and but my my most pride biggest pride and joy is happiest man of the class happiest man of the year award that was given to me at kellogg school so and i and i you know hang that on my wall at home and every now and again i kind of look at it and chuckle and because it really in many ways it sums up my philosophy you know you've got to be happy no matter what your circumstances not no matter what your environment and you got to look for happiness and i think that's something that you know is fundamental to to our our existence um you know find happiness in no matter where you are and it's tough right um and i try and tell that to my kids you know and um and and they don't get it half the time but i think they they're beginning to now because they 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 kind of seeing a real life example of of um you know how happiness actually you know makes you a better person yeah i mean i i i brought this up because uh i can't afford you but at happiness.me you can always be an intern i'll yes. be an intern i i you will I be know. more than an intern you will be the ceo you will be <laughs> no. you'll be the man who will drive it drive thank, it thank you raj i don't want to be ceo <laughs> for any any, any organization uh, anymore i think you know it's a case of been that done that you know written the book and and you know somebody will make a movie but um but you know apart from that I think it's a case of um you know working in a startup is really quite different and you you know you're 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 doing it now and I think it's must be great fun and for yeah. me you know the early days of star when we had a little office over in you know one corner of uh, Nariman point which was a little embassy yeah. building I remember embassy building no it was before embassy it was a little one called maker make a yes correct and it was no bigger than a broom cupboard actually and <laughs> you know, and, and we had one little desk there one kettle or one teapot and you know Uh, one chair or two chairs and we take it in turns to go and sit there and and you know uh, somebody was going out for a meeting so he's oh good I I can use the desk now and all that kind of stuff you know and and when you think about the organization today and and the people that work there I have no idea how it actually started you know and what what kind of conditions were and what kind of environment it was when you know when you and I and a few other people were going out into the marketplace meeting clients you know talking to them about you know buying television programs and we had no ratings whatsoever yeah so you know fact, when i see all these you know arguments and discussions and debates going on about ratings you wonder is what is the fuss about you know we never had any ratings anyway <laughs> <laughs> like this sochcast tune in for more with the sochcast app from the google play store in fact when i tell people you know i tell people you know this is how star tv started in india in a little room in fact i told this to my colleagues recently because I, we have a very small office a very small office cute office and i tell them listen you know what 
this is luxury that we are living in when we started star tv Yeah. We didn't even have one room here. We got three small little rooms, and we got a little terrace, and we should be happy about it. So absolutely, absolutely, and you know, I think these days, and as you grow, and as your organization gets bigger and and more robust, and everything, you know, you look back at these days when you had this office with three rooms and a terrace, you know, yeah, and you think, oh, wasn't that wonderful? And and that's the way I feel about our broom cupboard in in Maker Three or Four or whatever it was. Yeah. So so what so. Uh, Since you've been through this experience, if you had to speak to some entrepreneurs today, what are the tips you would give them for people who are doing a startup? Well, I think you know you've got to be you've got to be completely passionate. You know, I tried to be an entrepreneur for a little while; it didn't work for me. I was uh, perhaps a little long in the tooth for that. But I think it's you know in many ways it's never too late. But I think you've got to hire the right people if you can. Get them on board rather than you know hire them for for compensation. You've got to hire them for the passion that they have for what you're doing. And for the belief in it, um, you know, lots of mis- lots of people make mistakes. You hire people because they are already doing a good job somewhere else, um, but they, you know, they come with a price tag. They come with um, you know lots of baggage. And one of the things that you and I, if you remember, you know, we were able to do was to hire people that actually didn't have all that much experience, you know, and we hired them because they had, you know, the guts. They had the daring. They didn't really care if they failed, you know. Whereas if you hire people that have, you know, lots of experience, lots of qualifications, and you bring them into a startup, I think somewhere some, you know, something is missing, and that what is missing is um, is the passion and the guts and the daring because they're scared to fail because they've already been successful, right? And if you're if you're successful once and you you know you're failing is a really scary moment, right? And so I think one of the things that in you know entrepreneurs and and People starting businesses at this point should not just at this point at any point is uh, they should look to hire up you know really hire young people you know I think you got to hire the younger the better to be honest you know because they they don't have baggage that you have to clear first and then and then start right so you can literally start from ground zero straight away rather than starting the other way around where you have to unlearn certain things. Get accustomed to the fact that you can work in a three-room office, uh, and 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 go from there. And I think it's it's tempting, you know what 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 people who are investors in in startups tend to tell you. Listen, we're investing in a team. You know, you've got to get a team together, right? And then they want you to hire the people that you've either worked with in the past or worked with somewhere else, and who are already sort of recognized or semi-recognized. Right, and you get sucked into it because they're the guys who are coming in with the money, and they say, "Listen, here's the money. We'll invest in in what you have in mind. We got to get a really good team, right? And why don't you hire this? Why don't you hire that? And those are the names that they read about in newspapers and magazines, right? Actually, they're all the wrong guys. Nothing wrong with them, but they're the wrong guys to bring into a startup. You got to hire people straight out of school who are, you know, almost, you know, haven't got. Uh, um, an opportunity to prove themselves, and now is the opportunity for them to really get stuck in. They can feel proud when they go home to meet their parents or their family members and say, "Look, I'm working for this place, and I really love what I'm doing." Right? Uh, and I think that's you know a really fundamental uh, ingredient that you know people tend to forget and overlook. Yeah. 
I, I remember I, one of the things we did at Star uh, uh, in the sales team. I remember was almost everybody that we hired were freshers. Yes, they all grew into their roles and you know then became as big as they became in their in their respective roles. And, But, and so many of them, Raj, today are doing so well. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful to see you know and they every now and again they call and say hello and they they kind of make contact and uh, and some of them have maintained contact right the way through and you know. It's so lovely to see them having grown to, you know, the incredible positions of power um, and 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 influence. You know that it's yeah. When you think about it, when they were starting out, they were you know they were nervous as hell, but they didn't have a worry, you know. And and that is the is the big difference. You know, you're not worried, you're not scared of failure. Um, and I think that that you know had had a huge role to play in all the things we did. We hired freshers straight out of school sometimes. Straight out of college, some were college dropouts, right? Um, and you know, we built the team, right? And I remember the guys you hired, people that you know, we were hiring in other parts of the country. And when we used to get together for you know meetings or conferences and stuff like that, or you know, we would um, all have a great deal of fun because you know we all were in the same boat, right? Face the same situations, and we've gone through it together. And I think that's something that you know. I think startup companies should, you know, make it a, a must-have. They got to hire people that are, you know, wanting to prove themselves, not people that have proved themselves already. Uh, no, so true. And uh, you know, one of your biggest contribution. In fact, it never struck me. I after reading your book, and then I saw Anand had put up a post somewhere where he wrote Peter's biggest contribution, not just to uh, Star TV, but probably to the Indian. Uh, corporate sector is you democratized uh, uh, what do you say hierarchy? You know, uh, I call you Pete. I call you Peter. Okay, and yes. it was not just me calling you Pete or Peter. The entire organization we all addressed each other by first name, and that's a culture I think you brought with you when you came into the company, and that made a huge difference. You yeah, know? you know, I read Anand's post, and it was very nice of him. Be so generous with his words, and and um, but you know he, he in many ways I never gave that too much thought to be honest, uh, like you till I read it because you know it was only later on that you realized that actually it did make a big difference because you know our com- competition our competitors were not like that and uh, and thankfully they were not like that because it worked for us and people enjoyed you know coming into an organization which had a a very kind of collegiate. Environment, you know, we were first name terms. We could, we could get into a meeting and scream at each other, have a row, and still leave that meeting room just as, you know, just as friends as we were before we got in there and had that row, you know. And nothing would change. Those dynamics never changed, but we were able to speak our minds, you know. And I remember seeing, um, sitting in meetings at some point where you know everybody in the room was silent except for the boss, and. And you know, for me, that was a real eye opener. How is this meeting ever going to come together if everybody just either nods in agreement, right, and and um, and doesn't say what they feel like? And yet, after the meeting, they'd come back and they'd have a whole, hundreds of opinions about, you know, what they should have said, and oh, what about this, and what about that, should have done this. And, but when you're sitting around the table, they were just too petrified to say anything because they thought maybe that be the wrong thing, and it's not, you know, the right level of protocol. And I think this. Protocol thing is something that we were able to kind of uh, put aside. You know, we didn't really, uh, you know, feed off that, right? And 
anybody could walk into anybody's office at any point of time and say, "Can I have two minutes?" And you know, and I think we were all of the same kind of uh, you know mindset where we 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 kind of encourage that, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'd have no problem walking into you know an open sales floor and sitting down with the sales guy, pulling up a chair and sitting right next to him or her. Yeah. And having a chat and saying, you know, so how's it going? What's going on? And they'd be quite stunned, right? They'd be yeah. sitting there saying, oh, you know, boss is here, and all the other people around the sales floor were kind of wondering what's going on. And you know, likewise in in other parts of the business, you know. And I think, uh, and you used think, to do it quite often. <laughs> I used to do it all the time. I used to do it all the time, and I used to really enjoy doing it because how else do you cut through those layers of, uh, you know, I would call it bureaucracy that you build up over a period of time. Not you know not intentionally, but it just happens, right? Yeah. Um, and so when you build those layers into an organization, then you know it becomes very hard to break through that. And people are worried, you know, if they're a I don't know if they're a manager, they don't feel like they don't think they can go walk into a vice president's uh, room. They have to go through the assistant vice president, right? And in some ways, fair enough, you know. But if the if the vice president was to come down and have a chat with everybody once in a while and you know put his hand on somebody's shoulder and say hey how's it going everything all right how's the family blah 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 whatever i think it kind of breaks the ice for everyone they feel more encouraged to kind of get back and talk about it talk about things you know and and not be hesitant and i think those are those are little things you know but are are very kind of sort of valuable i think in terms of making an organization come together you yeah. know i mean uh, you know when i when i read your book and then you know at that moment probably one didn't feel it but in hindsight when i look at it and uh, i must tell you this one of your biggest contribution that i would put which probably it's not there in the book is uh, your people management skills you know we used to really fight like cats and dogs okay i mean if you walked into the room you wouldn't feel that peter was the boss i mean we were like everybody used to fight i even remember a time peter i don't know which hotel it was i slammed the table and walked off the room and you came out and you gave me a kiss and said raju come back don't take it so seriously and you know but those were the days you know where we uh, we whether it's samir sumo whoever it was you know we used to sit down we used to uh, we used to fight but something that we learned and this is something that uh, you know uh, is by default we we fought on the issues we never fought the person so yeah. so after office hours we were all friends and things like that you know and when i read your book it brought back great memories uh, uh, on some of the things that actually happened no you're absolutely right and you know i i was watching a tv program recently i i'm sure you you and many others have seen it it's called mad men right which uh, which is set in an advertising agency in you know back in the day of the 60s or the 50s and so on and and you know the office environment was um, was different right where people would kind of be all dressed up in suits and um and they were sitting in their in their office rooms and um and smoking which you know obviously you can't do today um and that entire environment was so different right yeah. and and in a way what we went through when when we were you know all all of us were running star at that time um you know that was a different era right and we could you know we would socialize as much as we would spend time at work you know so you know after hours was a was a must do right yeah. we had to get together after work um you know to be able to chat about things that were either going to come up the following day 
or things that we did that particular day or things that were going to come around the corner and you know plan and talk about it in you know in great detail and sometimes over a drink or two and 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 let our head out and you know i think that level of bonding that got created in that process was what made it all come together and i don't know whether lots of the other companies in our in our industry at that time were 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 doing that and were ready for it you know and i think uh, i and i of course was very fortunate and you know we all had uh, you know bosses like gene swinstead and you know robert bland gary davy james murdock of course rupert would sort of come in every now and again you know bruce churchill all of these guys you know they would they would be part and parcel of you know everybody's yeah you know when every time james came into town we went out for dinner and you yeah. know it was it was never again like the boss was in town it was never no, like no it wasn't at all and you know he'd very often sort of come around and say listen i, I need to go and have a smoke come with me <laughs> so, you know we'd step out onto the terrace and have a cigarette right uh, and i think and those five minutes of having that one on one time when you're actually just literally having a smoke was again hugely valuable because you know you can talk about stuff which you perhaps would not do sitting in an office environment and i think that's you know those are the things that i think helped set us apart you know i think the other thing that anand at one point mentioned in his in his uh, post if i remember correctly was you know compensation and and you know out of pocket expenses right you know small small detail but you know i don't know if you recall i would try and encourage you know the 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 girls that used to work at star to go and spend you know an afternoon with a senior client at a at a spa or at a you know at a beauty salon or whatever because how else would you take a senior client who's a a a female client how would you get her time right where would you, she's not going to go out necessarily out to dinner with some of the you know the the male clients would be quite happy to do right but the female clients wouldn't because they got homes to go to they've got families they can't they got to get back to a you know to a different kind of routine and to get that individual's time on a one on one basis how would you do that so you know it was something that i would encourage to say listen you know take so and so out for you know to a to a spa or go you know go to a beauty parlor or something and, you know and not sort of skimp on those small details yeah right no, i remember that and uh, and uh, and one of the things uh, i tell people is it was amazing i mean of course we had a budget and as long as you met your target and within you could do whatever you wanted with that budget and there wasn't any questions asked uh one of the things which uh, and i worked in organizations and i've been very lucky in every organization i worked i've had great bosses but uh you are one of the most secure bosses because everybody who who flourished under you went on to become success in their own careers uh what was what was there was something unique what gave you that level of security where you gave everybody complete freedom i mean that was one thing that you managed to do you you managed to uh and i remember your phrase which you said why have a dog and bark yourself you know it's is easy yeah. to say that but but uh, uh most bosses don't want to let go right and yeah. you were very very clear once you uh your all the people were reporting directly to you whether it was the cfo uh, programming head some of us in the in the team uh we had complete autonomy and freedom right i mean i don't think many organizations have that and and that is one of your leadership quality so 
if you if i had to ask you a question because uh, i often tell people uh, peter and i had love and hate relationship okay and and sometimes i hated him more than i loved him especially after my court case but then we kissed and made up but uh, but 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 the fact remain that i can't take away some of the things that you brought to the table and one of them i would say is your leadership quality so if you had to say uh, what are the leadership qualities that you think are unique that makes a great organization well i and and let me just pick that one word you used earlier which is you know you were very secure i think i was secure because um i had a i had you know my bosses who gave me that level of freedom as well right and and i i was also fortunate that you know my earlier um uh, part of my career i was uh living and working in england and uh, the places that i worked at there were very similar in that sense so you know i wasn't in a you know in a way brought up in a environment where uh my bosses were insecure themselves right so i didn't know any different so when i arrived in india to, to uh from hong kong to work at star uh for me it was second nature and and you know the phrase that you used about you know why have a dog that can bark yourself it kind of really doesn't um it sits absolutely brilliantly in my own mind right um and i met some years ago i met um phil marshall manekshaw at a at a airport lounge um and he was he had retired and and so on and i was you know running late for a flight and i rushed in and i was seated in this little lounge at the back of the check-in desk and i met him and of course i introduced myself he was very warm and he he and i told him that my parents were in the army and blah 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 and um he went on to say that you know he, he narrated a particular incident about the bangladesh war and he said you know mrs gandhi at the time was calling me and asking me to go do this and do that and, you know why don't i do some do something in a particular way and he had you know used that occasion to just remind her that you know this particular plane had only one pilot and he was the pilot right and but if she wanted to be the pilot then he'd be happy to get off that and let her fly the plane <laughs> and in in many ways that's exactly what you know was in my head all throughout raj you know so samir for example when he was doing when he was the head of programming before he became coo you know i he was left to his own devices i mean i don't think there was one single day that i ever sat down with him and said look i think we should you know do this particular program or work with this particular producer right because a it wasn't my area of expertise it was clearly his b it was something that i you know genuinely believe that you know you've got somebody there to do the job then you got to let him or her get on with it and and i think that level of security came to me from from people that were above me you know the likes of gary and the likes of blandy and and uh and so on who who gave me the freedom to go off and do things right so they never interfered with stuff about oh you know how how much are you paying experts right if anything they would say to me the opposite which is you're paying that person too little right pay them more right and that was always something that i was conscious of and i thought to myself constantly that you know our uh sort of salaries and and compensation packages in 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 the company at that time were always 
I think whilst we were on the high side in the industry, I still felt that we were on the low side as far as, you know, the global marketplace is concerned because at the end of the day, we are in a global marketplace, right? And you have to feel good about it. So, you know, I always tell people, listen, negotiate your salaries in dollars. Don't negotiate them in rupees, right? If you negotiate your salaries in dollars, then, you know, you're talking, you know, the same language. And and that goes back to the time when Rupert came into the star office and he said, you know, we told him it was going to be one lakh of rupees for the prize money for KBL. KBC, KBC. No, it was KBL first. Yeah, yeah, that time first. Yeah, I remember I was in the room. We yeah. were all there. He yeah. said, look, what is, I think somebody said, look, it's a lakh of rupees. So he said, what is that in real money? Yeah. He said, real money means what? Real money means... A million you know, dollars. Yeah. In dollars, right? Yeah. So when you say, what is that in real money? Then you say, well, it's two and a half thousand dollars. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders and he said, look, you're wasting your time. So take that to your own compensation packages and... You know, employees should go to their employers and say, look, we're in a global marketplace, why am I getting paid a tenth of what somebody in the US is paid or a fifth or whatever it is, right? We should be on a, on par. I think when that happens, by and large, and I know lots of companies are going to get at me after this and saying, look, what is he talking about? Um, they're probably right, but I think there is a, a time and place for that. And I think, you know, when you kind of compensate people well, they feel good. They feel good. They work you know, their work is world-class. And we want world-class quality, right? It's not about being high standards in India. That doesn't make any sense. You've got to be global standard. Yeah. And so, and, and the people that work for you should feel like that. So when they when they step out of the country and they happen to be in Australia or New Zealand or, or wherever they might be, they've got to feel that, you know, they're just as good, if not better than anybody else. And we find that with, with all the people that are heading up big corporations today, Google, Microsoft, right? These guys that are running these companies are from this part of the world. They're from India, right? They don't talk their they don't talk their compensation packages in rupees. Yeah. So I think you know we've got to change that mindset. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. No, I think uh, it got changed. I mean, you just didn't say it. You actually implemented it at that time. And you, uh, I read the Maneksha bit in the book. You've written it yep. in the book as well. Yeah. And yeah. for th- those of you who don't know, uh, this is a book, I think, everyone, uh, not just who's in the media business or intends to get in the media business, but it's also a book on, uh, you know, lessons in leadership. I mean, this is something that you must buy and read if you haven't read. Uh, it's called uh, Starstruck Confessions of a TV Executive. Uh, so, Peter, Confessions of a TV Executive, and you were you used to, I remember you telling us we should read David Ogilvy's book when it comes to writing. And uh, so he had written a thing called Confessions of an Advertising Executive. Was this inspired from there? Very much. I, you know, I used to work for Ogilvy many years ago and um, in, in advertising. And, um, and one of the things that you had to do when you joined that company was to read, you know, some of David Ogilvy's books. And one of them was Confessions of an Advertising Man. Um, and, and, you know, when you read that, he talks about some small anecdotes. And I remember the, you know, one particular one where he was, I think Rolls Royce was one of his clients and he talked about, he said, the, you know, the only thing that you hear in the, in a Rolls Royce while sitting in it is the, is the ticking of the clock. Right. And, and so little things like that are, are really what, you know, that's a confession, right? Now that's a confession. He, and I remember him, him telling it, you know, putting it in that book saying, look, people don't buy products, 
right? They buy benefits. And I think that's so fundamental when you talk about communication, right? What is somebody buying? And I, you know, that, that's an advertising man's kind of way of looking at things. So similarly, what I've tried to do in this book where I've said confessions and why is it confessions? Because they are, they are kind of inside stories that, have, that I've experienced, that are personal memoirs and memories of certain things that have kind of inspired me to, you know, to remember them and then rewrite them in a, in a, in a little book like this. Now, obviously, I've left out lots of stuff, um, you know, which maybe one day in, you know, volume two will, will, will happen. But, you know, it's, uh, I think those are very much inspired by David Ogilvy's, you know, Confessions of an Advertising Man. Post this, oh, I just saw this, Westland Books. I mean, they're the publishers, right? Yes. Yeah. And How they've done the experience fantastic job. Raj, they've done a fabulous job. There's a girl there by the name of Deepti Dalwar who has done, you know, incredible amount of work in terms of making sure the editing of this book has come together and looks good. They were very conscious of, um, you know, the the fact that it was, uh, you know, a few years ago and and will it still be relevant? Uh, and I had to try and convince them that, yes, what's in it will continue to be relevant, hopefully today and certainly in a few years to come as well. Because these things don't change. They don't go away, you know, and... Um, and I think they've taken a lot of trouble in making sure that it's it's come together in a in a very readable manner. I have purposely, Peter, today not uh, taken anything from the book when I'm speaking to you for the simple yeah, yeah. reason I want people to buy your book and read it because there is so much here that one should uh, read it. You know, my telling it and bringing it up, I don't want to, you know, uh, it's like... Uh, uh, Stealing thunder. Exactly. I don't want to do that. Thank you for helping me. Uh, so, so, quickly, you did mention your children. Yes. So, can you tell me a little bit about them? I mean, uh, well, not really. I, I don't. What is their relationship with your kids? My relationship with my kids is, uh, you know, like any relationship with any parent and their children, I suppose. But um, I had a different kind of upbringing. I had very, I had a very strict father, um, and um, my relationship with him was was brilliant, but not one that I necessarily would have, uh, you know, would advocate for my relationship with my kids. So, and what I tried to do all the way through was to have a relationship with my with my children that was you know more of a of a friend right uh, and in that process to try and you know inject into them through examples of how uh, they ought to conduct themselves you know uh, both in terms of values in terms of uh, behavior in terms of um, you know what they did and what they thought about and how they related to other people um, and um, you know, I've always believed that if you smile at somebody, they generally get a smile back, right? If you if you growl at somebody, the chances are you'll get a growl back as well. So you know, it's better to be a, a kind of you know a, be genuine in your in your efforts, and that's what I've tried to do with with my kids. I don't know if I've been successful or not, but I hope I have, and you know, I hope they've kind of learned you know a thing or two from 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 me being a parent to them. Fabulous. And what about your siblings? Because uh, I know your sister Shangun uh, played a very, very important role. I mean, she put all life on this, uh, on a hold just for you. So, yeah, both actually, both both my siblings, my brother and my sister, both of them, uh, who happen to be twins, and they're a couple of years younger than me. And I think, you know, they have put their entire lives and their work and everything, uh, and and not just themselves, but their families as well. You know, their lives on hold in many ways to kind of. Uh, get engaged with what I'm going through and try and put themselves in a situation where they feel um, 
totally connected, totally engaged with with my uh, you know requirements, my needs uh, in in whatever handicapped situation I was, and uh, and and I you know I can't tell you how they've taken this whole business of uh, you know sibling affection to an entirely new level. You know, so if I had an opportunity to present them with a siblings of the year award, I I would definitely do that. You know, that would be um, you know, and and it amazes me when I when I when I read uh, you know when you read stories about other siblings in other other kind of environments where you know they're fighting with each other, they're kind of not settling down, all of that. And I, I wonder, my parents must have done something right, you know, in bringing us up in a certain kind of way where. Um, you know, which uh, which which has led to this, and you know, this kind of bonding that we have today is is, I think, uh, you know, very very fortunate and uh, very lucky to have it. Great, I'm switching gears a bit. Uh, so, tell me your relationship, uh, some anecdotes with James and Rupert. Well, you know, I've written a couple of them in my book, but my my associate, you know, Rupert. Tell me something that's not in the book. Tell me something that's not in the book. <laughs> <laughs> You're putting me on the spot there, Raj. I think I'll tell you what. James was very, very uh, good when I uh, he came and attended my wedding, my second wedding, and uh, and he was there and he he made it a point to come and um, and be there and uh, uh, you know be very much part of the sort of celebrations and the, the the ceremony and all of that. I think it must have been one of his first um, attendances at an Indian wedding. Uh, so I, I was very happy that he came and I was very grateful to him that he arrived and that he kind of spent a bit of time. And did that, and um, um, you know, I used to enjoy his company because we had, you know, a few things in common. One was that we used to smoke the same brand of cigarettes, right? And uh, in those days, I used to smoke more than I—I I, I don't smoke anymore. But um, at that time, you know, it was—it was something you did. And uh, so we would spend a lot of time while we were in the in a car uh, or in at work, and we would step out of the office. And um, and really, the the opportunity to do that was was made it special, you know. And I remember asking him one time, saying, "Look, um, I'm going to get married, and I need to buy a house, James, um, but I don't have the money." And he said, "Look, um, you know, why don't you ask the company, right?" And I said, "Look, really?" I said, "Will the company loan me the money?" And he said, "I think so." He said, um, "You know, it's you're on top of your game." The, the business is doing well. Um, you know, you've got a you've got a contract that goes on for another three years or whatever it was. And he said you can pay it off over a period of time. And uh, and for me, that was a great source of strength, right? Because it doesn't happen that easily that an organization that you work for will necessarily lend you the money to go buy a home. And in a city like Bombay, where you know property is expensive, so for me that was a a, a very kind of Touching, very personal, and it's not something I've written in a book, but I'm sharing with you. And you know, was was very, very uh, special for me, right? I, it made me feel good. It made me feel that you know, here's a boss that a has, you know, he values what I'm contributing to the to the organization. Um, and in his own way, he said, "Look, I didn't ask him to approve anything, uh, but I said, oh, okay, thank you very much." And and um, I will. I will follow up. He said, "Yeah, I would," and he left it at that. Right. So for me, that was, you know, a nudge is as, nudge is as good as a wink. You know. So, <laughs> so I, I, I kind of went down that track, and I, 
I I was able to get that loan and then buy a home and 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 not have to necessarily go to a bank and borrow it or whatever you know and yeah. um and I think those are the kind of personal things that you know um James was very good at and as far as Rupert goes I think you know he was equally so and he you know for all his wealth and all his kind of power and influence I've got to say he's a incredibly grounded guy you know and uh, I remember going and I think I've said this in uh, I'm not sure if I've said this in the book but we we had a meeting in uh, in Andheri somewhere in Bombay um at Rajan Raheja's office and uh, you know we took a car from the hotel I I picked him up at the hotel early morning and uh, we got in the hotel car drove to Rajan's office and uh, and we were going up in the lift and he asked me he said are you going to let the car go I said uh, I can do he said yeah let him go he said no point him sitting here and charging us money for it we'll take a cab back right so this is you know I don't know top 5 top 10 wealthiest men in the world something like that and um, and here he was going into a meeting in India uh, and actually you know sending the hotel car back rather than have him waiting for us to finish the meeting and and take us back so he said look we'll take a cab back and that's you know it's an insight into somebody right um and similarly i was in new york once and we had a meeting in a hotel which was uh, around the corner from the office and we agreed to meet at 3 o'clock and so he said come to my office at 3 and then we'll go from there i said okay so i met him in his office at 3 o'clock and we walked down and i was sort of expecting to kind of step out of the uh, uh you know the new scope office into a you know into rupert's car with a driver and all of that right so uh and he said no forget it we'll walk you know so we walked two blocks three blocks and we kept walking and then we got to the place where we were going and you know it was just him and me walking along the street uh as any two normal people would do you and i would do that right we'd walk down and and was nothing different and i think that's unique you know that's a little anecdote for me which which made a big difference for me when i when i returned to india i would make sure that you know i didn't have a car waiting for me when i think i'd tell you know if it was a hotel car i'd say you carry on i'll take it and you know i used to go to meetings in in bangalore i remember going with raj kamath to uh, in a three wheeler right so we went we couldn't you know we couldn't be bothered to wait we said let's get grab a grab a three wheeler so we jumped in this little three wheeler and arrived in I think it was BPL's office or you know ITC or something and and you know the guard at the gate was very conscious that it's a three wheeler coming in he wouldn't allow it he said who are you and where are you from and who do you want to meet and so on and we said you know there's a business card and we were saying we're going to meet the boss and he was quite astounded you know that these guys have come from Star TV to to meet the in top in a man. yeah top man in a three wheeler you know so and there was a certain amount of uh, I don't know whether you call it inverted snobbery but it was a certain amount of truth involved in that and that really was had come from you know from uh, my my little experiences with with Rupert and James you know they were very grounded people despite all their wealth and power and influence i remember you peter coming on a bike to the office yes i do i do i do indeed you i know, and and those days it was like you know here's the ceo of star tv who goes to office on a on a bike i mean that was a bullet if i remember i mean i don't yes. know What yes, about yes, the Harley Bullet I don't remember. No 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 there was no Harley then it was a Royal Enfield yeah. 350 which I'd bought and then subsequently crashed and and I had to kind of set it right and then sell it or whatever but yes I love motorbikes and and you know I remember never forget the time when 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 I left Star I was you know gifted one by a whole bunch of people that worked there they put together some money and bought me a motorbike because they thought they knew I love motorbikes 
so I was given a motorbike as my going away present, which was fantastic. And so yeah, I remember coming to work on a motorbike, and you know, I think it was—I think it used to be only on Saturdays because the traffic <laughs> was a little bit light. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, very much. And the bike they gave you—you you written it in the book. Uh, uh, the number is seven eight two seven. Do you yes. still have? Do you still own it? No, I don't own it. Unfortunately, I sold it when I had to. I actually gave it away. I gave it away to a, to a friend's son um, who liked bikes, and he said, "Look, he didn't have enough money." And he said, "Look, I'll I can pay you X amount for it." And I said, "No, you're not going to give me any money for it. It was a gift to me, so you have it have it as a gift and look after it and don't kill yourself." So I'm glad to say he's still alive, uh, and he hasn't kind of you know. You know, this is the other side of Peter Mukherjee. I mean, for a lot of, lot of people who don't know, I have a small anecdote, Peter. I mean, you won't remember this. Uh-huh. Uh, it was 1999 World Cup and we were in London. Yeah. And, you know, we used to do a lot of corporate hospitality. We used to take guests from India, CEOs yes. of companies to Wimbledon, yes. the World Cup and all these golf matches and things like that. Those days, two yeah. decades ago. <laughs> and uh, uh, the chairman of Hindustan Lever at that time was uh, Mr. Keki Dadiset. Yes. And he and his wife were invited for the World Cup. And, uh, you know, and when I was in London, he called me. He called me, his, uh, I think, Venkat, who was his uh, person. Actually, Mr. Dadiset himself called me and he said, and he was a gentleman, gentleman to the, you know, I mean, very English and very proper. He said, Raj, can I ask you for a favor? And I said, uh, sure. And he said, don't go out of your way. I'm willing to pay for it, but if it's possible, my brother lives in England, so can you organize two tickets for us? And I was like, you know, it was not easy, right? Even though we worked for Star Sports and uh, uh, ESPN, whatever it is, we had limited tickets. So uh, I decided I will skip. And I, you know, Neeraj, you know, Neeraj is that. Of course. So Neeraj, I had invited Neeraj for the match, and he happened to be in London. So I told Neeraj, listen, we got these two tickets, but. One of my client is asking it and he's a very important client for me. I would rather give it to him. We will go and do something else. And it was my probably my first trip to London. I hadn't seen London before that. Right. I said, you can show me London. And uh, I happened to speak to you. And I happened to mention to you that, you know, Peter, I may not be there for the match tomorrow. So can you do me a favor? These are my guests who have come from India. Can you please take care of them? We were in the corporate hospitality thing. Can you yeah. just make sure that they're taken care of? And he said, forget it. They're your guests. You take care of them and you gave me your ticket with your... And you and your son went and sat in the Janta stand. I don't know whether you remember that. Yeah, I do remember. Yes, very much. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's Peter Mukherjee for you. A boss who says, forget it. You have to take care of your clients. I will go and sit in the Janta stand because we had some extra tickets there. I mean, and yeah. I, I just thought I should bring this up. How sweet uh, of you. Thank you for saying that. I, I tell you what, I, I remember that because I remember spending time with my son. And we were we were able to kind of spend time together and chat about the match and whatever, which I probably would not have been able to do had I gone off to the hospitality box and <laughs> and had to rub shoulders with all these big guys, right? So if for me it was it was probably a, a blessing in disguise in any way, in any case. But yeah, that's very true. So Peter, now that you're you you've seen television, then you've seen television now, you've seen the media industry, you've evolved, you kept abreast from what I saw in your book. You wrote a postscript of you know what's happening today. So, tell me, I want to ask you a question. You know, India is today constantly being compared to China on so many fronts. Uh, in your view, what made India come through for Star TV? And uh, is this still the case even today when it comes for new media or OTT or digital? Yeah. You know, interesting question, Raj, i got to say. I think, let me start from, you know, in reverse order. I would say yes, very much. I think India still has the opportunity to kind of... Uh, you know, not just take on China, but 
go past it as far as industry and uh, and particularly in the in the business of um, uh, you know new media is concerned. And I say that because you know uh, for us in in this country English is a is a primary language and it is a global it is a global language of business as well. And I think you know we've got incredible talent as far as technology and uh, and and you know wherewithal with, with the resources that are present in 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 the marketplace here so i think that's one reason the other the other reason is that i think the the penetration of media per se in this country is still nowhere near as high as it is penetrated in china which basically means to say that there's an enormous amount of growth still left to happen and and you know we it's it, it will happen question is how quickly and i think the the you know the regulatory environment is is conducive to making that change happen and make that happen very quickly for for us as we speak today what happened for us two decades ago was yeah. was was really quite different in that uh, you know the india market came about for star by default right i've tried to kind of allude to that in in my book initially when the company was started by richard lee it was all about china india was not on his radar india india was not on his map which is why he handed it over to subhash um uh, chandra as as a platform for him to start a local language service called z and you know hindi was not in, on richard lee's map subsequently when rupert bought it he bought it also knowing that china is a gigantic marketplace and if he could get his hands and get his business into china that would be great for for that he virtually have ownership of asia didn't turn out that way it turned out india turned out for news corp for star by default how because the marketplace was so uh under nourished right it was not provided with adequate content so when star level of quality arrived into the indian marketplace and you and i will remember that then you know advertisers flocked to it you know like never before they loved it even though the english language service was only you know reaching out to a small number of people and when that then transitioned along with z and sony and ourselves into a hindi language and now subsequently into multiple regional languages you can see how quickly those volume of channels has grown and the volume of production has grown the volume of content has grown you know that is being produced every day in different parts of the country 20 years ago that was not the case you know it was totally you know it was probably one language may have been one you know a little bit of programming in in one or two other regional languages but today you know there's you know high quality content being produced in several languages right and this is still just the tip of the iceberg so we've got parts of the country where you know i've i've seen programming uh you know in the northeast for example which is relatively poor quality and quite honestly has great room for improvement right and have you know there there is a uh uh an underlying level of growth that will take india we china india will go streets ahead without doubt as far as content production is concerned now how quickly it will happen is a matter of how free and open minded the regulator is in terms of allowing it to happen. and i just hope that they are open minded about it that you mentioned about regulation you've been following the latest uh, 
guidelines that have been coming. Quick question: In your book, you wrote something. You wrote about IMG, the Indian media group, who uh, when when you launched your news channel, Star News, uh, which lobbied and got the laws changed. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and do you think? There's something similar happening in the digital space today, in the OTT space. Well, possibly, but I think it's it's it's. Um, I think possibly that that is probably the case, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not in that in that space, and I'm not working in it on a day to day basis. But my sense is that you know, if there is regulation to be had as far as OTT is concerned in terms of content regulation, I I actually believe it's not a bad thing, right? A lot of people will disagree with me. They think that you know, its content should not be regulated. But as a marketplace, I think we are far too diverse for for content regulation not to not to have a role to play. I think we, you know, some parts of our society would love to have, you know, all kinds of uh, programming uh, provided to viewers, right, without any restriction. Um, I don't believe that. I don't buy that right now. I think in time to come, maybe that will be the case. We have far too great and uneducated, uneducated population. To be, um, you know, providing content which has no regulation to it at all. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you partly, not fully, but I think even if you bring in regulations, and this is my personal view, you need to clearly define everything by the line because if it's subjective, then it's very difficult for content creators. Don't you think so? Well, of course it is, but you know, content creators create movies, right? And because it's pretty much the same kind of people that make movies that make the. You know the OTT shows, and and they follow a kind of a guideline for movies, right? And for movies, people buy tickets or they buy it on you know uh, other platforms, and 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 they follow a code of conduct. If I call it call it a code of conduct, so I don't see why that shouldn't apply to anything else. I mean, I, how is it any different? It isn't different except that they they have a censorship board here. You don't have. Well, and, maybe, uh, there should, maybe there should be one. I don't know. I mean, as I say, I I, I I'm yeah. saying all this at the risk of. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, my my thing is, uh, even if it's a censorship board, things are defined, right? To a large extent, things are defined. And but right now, when things are not defined, that's when the challenge comes in. And well, exactly. But they had, that's what I'm saying. That, that it needs definition. It needs some sort of parameters yeah. so that people know that they can work within that, and they cannot go off, you know, and produce whatever they feel like. Because you know, and then you know, the numerous instances of of uh, you know objections being raised to program A or program B for you know for all kinds of things, and I think those that that is because there are no there are no parameters, right? If you leave it completely open to anybody and everybody, then who's to say that you know th- there will be more of the same, right? And if the same producers are producing content for which is going into movies, and they they generally abide by certain kind of Rules for for production of movies. Why would they not for OTT products? How is it different? Okay, I mean we are running out of time. I could go on with you, Peter. There's so much <laughs> I want to ask you, and I've had you know I'd actually made a list of things that I want to ask you, but I haven't used the used it at all because I said forget it. Let me just go with the flow because oh, lovely. But but it's nice. I mean we can always do Peter Mukherjee was uh, you know uh, season two at some point. Uh, I have a last question to ask you, Peter. What did you want your epitaph to say? Oh my goodness! I, 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 very tough. But I'd like to say something to do with happiness, Raj, which happens to be your company's uh, sort of, you know, fundamental belief as well. Um, and but I, I genuinely believe I think that you know 
happiness is a state of mind and you know and i think that's something that i've genuinely believed he lived a happy man lived a happy man and died a happy man i think irrespective you know i i think that's um um you know it's something that is very valuable now you know try and do things that make you happy and not do things that you know contradict that very well said peter i sincerely sincerely from the bottom of my heart wish you all the happiness in this world thank you for taking the time off and speaking to me and making that effort of going from your house to a business center in a hotel to do this call i mean i truly appreciate it hopefully when all this is over we will catch up and for old time sake we'll have a drink together we will indeed raj thank you very much for having me on your show and i'm I wish you every success in your new venture which is not that new now but it's still you know classifies as new which still under 3 years old is still new and uh, you know i think it 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 will go a long way you will go a long way and take care of your health i heard you had a surgery recently i was very concerned i hadn't called you i used to speak to sagri in the meanwhile why not how you're doing and uh, and i'm glad to see that you're looking well but i hope don't take I've got don't a refreshed take... heart so i'm well, more younger and more cheerful Yeah exactly and that makes two of us so there you go. <laughs> thank you thank you Peter thank you so thank much you. Thank, thank you. you. Take care Raj. Bye for now. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this Sochcast. What is your Soch? Send us your comments on our Facebook page and Instagram page. It's time for you to do your own Sochcast at Sochcast. Apni Soch duniya ko sunao. Sochcast